morning. It's great to see you all this morning. That was great listening to when all the music uh, dropped out and it was just our voices. That was a beautiful sound. Uh, you all sounded great, but there was some great music coming from over on this side. So good job. Fabulous. It is uh, great to see you all this morning. Uh, as I said, that's what I said first. I said it was good everywhere, especially you. Fabulous. It is great to be with you this morning. In fact, I was thinking uh, really two things to be greatly thankful for this morning, and I think you will agree with me on this. So first of all, the fact that we are here in person singing and lifting our voices and worshiping together, and we're going to listen to God's word proclaim that we have the freedom to do so here this morning. There are obviously plenty of places around the world, and that is not the case. It is not been the case in there are places in the United States of America this morning that are having difficulty of meeting and assembling together. So I am thankful that we are here together and we ask God's blessing on that and protection in that as well. There's another thing that I'm very thankful for, and I think you will agree with me as well, is uh, the barbers. So I don't think they're watching, so if they watch this later, but I'm going to cut this part out. But I am truly thankful and appreciate that I get to be part of Grace View with you as a church family, and I'm very thankful they are meeting us here at Grace View, and they are gone this week. They finally got their trip to Disney. We need to get that in, and uh, so you are stuck with me this morning. Um, I think they're traveling back today. They'll be back with us this week and next Sunday as well. If you agree as I believe, I am very thankful for the teaching and preaching that you did. We can be out in another work and effort and time and energy that Jeff came in and you can and walk with God and you know, gain a course for life. Thinking it, she will show you appreciation for them. They're not with us, so here we are. So we get me. So do we know where we're going to find ourselves this morning? Jay, Jess. Okay, so a handful of months ago, I jokingly made the comment, and I really wasn't thinking that we we're going to do this. That I'm going to go expository to the book of James, and uh, I get my two to three times a year to preach. And so I made this comment, and jokingly we'll go through for the next ten years. We'll go through the book of James. Well. We're going to still be in second James. I don't feel let out of that book yet, and uh, I think it is uh, been a great study for me. And so here we are in the book of James. I'm going to turn to James one. We'll be there in just a second. Uh, I did figure out that um, as I was kind of thinking through that, if I get three times a year to preach, I should be able to finish the book of James in eight years. So this is this will probably be my last time for this year. So I will have seven more years, and we'll get through the book of James. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but we will be in the book of James this morning. Just as review, James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It gives us practical wisdom of how to live our Christian life. And James here is being written to believers that are scattered abroad. And we won't rehash that. We did that last time we uh, uh, discussed what that James 1. But this is being written to believers that are scattered abroad in different uh, areas across the known world at that time. For different reasons. Obviously, some of them going through trials and difficulties, some of them even under some persecution. And so James is writing this book to them. And again, remember that these Christians are very young in their faith. The church is very new at this time. And so this book of James is being written to these believers, and it's illustrating or showing us what genuine faith should look like. What 
is genuine faith look like? What are the marks of genuine faith? And I gave this illustration, I think, a couple times ago. Uh, like a $20 bill, is it fake or is it counterfeit? I think I gave you the illustration right a handful of months ago. I sold this vehicle and I was meeting um, what ended up being two uh, men that spoke no English. I needed them at a quick trip at 11 o'clock at night because of how things trans uh, transpired throughout the day. I meet them at 11 o'clock in a dark parking lot in a quick trip, so I'm like, they're giving me a handful of cash we got to go inside where there's some light. And I'm in the middle of 11 o'clock at night in picture looking up $100 bills. Why? Because I want to make sure that it is the real thing, that it is not counterfeit. Here we have the book of James. And it's a question of, is your faith genuine? Is it real? Is it counterfeit? So we want to compare ourselves and our faith and our walk here as we have a list of things. So in verses 1 through 3, we already talked about this. We see that genuine faith perseveres in trials. And we looked at last time, genuine faith seeks wisdom from God, not from this world. And today we're going to look at a few verses where genuine faith fights against sinful temptations. That's where we'll find ourselves this morning. So if you're in James 1, let's go ahead and read. We're going to read verses 12 through 18. If you have your Bible open, that is great. Or your app, or the, I think the verses will be on the screen as well. Let's pick up in verse 12. Blessed, or blessed, is the man who remains steadfast under or during or through trial. For when he has stood the test. Not if, when. We will encounter trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. No, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In verse 18, it is the own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. So let's go ahead and begin in verse 12 here. The first thing, I think you'll have a blank on your uh, reading help there. Yes, thank you. All right, number one. Number one on your note there says the reward of remaining steadfast in trials. The reward of remaining steadfast in trials. So we're going to look at verse 12. We're just going to look at this briefly here, kind of go through this uh, phrase by phrase, and then we'll get to kind of the meat of this passage. But what is the first reward? The first blank there, I think, on your sheet there is blessed. Blessed. This verse begins with the same word, blessed. In fact, we have a whole list of verses that started with this same word. Where was that found? Matthew 5. Yes, okay, I knew we'd get there eventually. Okay, we've been living in the book of Matthew for a couple of years now, but a handful of months ago. When Jeff was preaching through the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, similar to that, we have kind of a Beatitude here in the book of James. And so what does this word blessed mean? Blessed is the man who's going to endure trials. Blessed means more than just this idea of I'm happy, something that is short-lived. In fact, when we think of the word blessed, we might often think of, you know, I've been given a good family or a good marriage or maybe a, a wealth or some sort of material possessions. And, and those certainly can be part of God's blessing. 
even less in this trip, here's the idea of going through difficulty and trial, I can still have a permanent joy and peace that remains. So here are this enduring trials when I'm being steadfast in trial, this man is blessed. Why? Because despite my circumstances, my joy remains and I have a joy and peace that is found in God. Then this next phrase, man who remains steadfast under trial. Now another word or another translation we could use for this word, remain steadfast, would be to persevere, endure. You either have gone through, are going through, or will go through a trial and difficulty. It is guaranteed. It will be part of your walk. Every Christian is tested and will have to endure trials. It's part of God's plan to strengthen our faith and to cause us to rely on Him more than us. Less. And then the next phrase it says, crown of life. It almost be better translated this. I think this is the next line there. Crown, which is life. Your crown which is life. In fact, in the ancient world, there were several types of different crowns that they could receive. Really the most fitting in this uh, setting here would be like an athletic event. So in the athletic events, if you were to run a race or some sort of competition, the winner, the victor, the champion would get this wreath crown as you are the winner victor. So this is kind of the the picture that is being displayed as Peter James is writing this letter to these Christians, and they can picture this wreath, the victor, the, the winner, the champion of this race or competition receives this crown. But here we're saying, when you endure trials, you receive the crown, which is life. The crown is eternal life, which is promised to those who are believers. Eventually, trials and testing will cease, and ultimately, Life with Christ is the crown of enduring these trials. And then this last phrase of this verse, we'll kind of be done with verse 12 here. So, to those who love Him. Now, throughout Scripture, love and faith are connected. In fact, that John uh, stressed this several times, but a couple verses, 1 John 4 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. What do we have? We have a connection of knowing God, having faith in God, and loving God. First John 4, 16, a few verses later. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. They're abiding in God, knowing God, having faith and confidence in God, connected with the love of God. So to summarize this, verse 12. Perseverance does not result in salvation and eternal life, but it is evidence of salvation and eternal life. And this man will be blessed and will have an ongoing love for God that cannot be destroyed by the trials in this life. So there's verse 12. Let's go to the next point here, which will be the, kind of the meat of the message this morning. Number two, the progression of sinful desires. Look at verses 13 through 15. Now this is when we look at verse 12, 
that uh, had the word trial. But in other translations, the King James Version, the New King James Version, keeps it as the word temptation instead of this word uh, trial. It's the same word that is used. In fact, it's in the Greek, it is parasmos, which means putting to proof or adversity. Okay, so why is this translated two different ways? Why do we have the word trial? And then we're going to see here in verses 13 to 15, we have this word temptation. What, what's the change? Why have we gone from a trial to temptation? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, this is another verse you may be familiar with. No temptation, same word, has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Similar word in the Greek as parasmos as we have here in James 1. So what's going on? Depending on the usage of this word, it can have a negative or positive connotation. Now in verse 12, it's clearly talking about a trial that we go through. How do we endure this trial? How do we respond to this trial in verse 12? So it's this thing that is in our life. Here in verses 13 to 14, but it's, it's certainly giving the idea of this temptation that's causing me to be evil. Now, you may be asking yourself, as I was, as I've read this previous thing, even this week as I'm going through this, what's the difference between trial and temptation? Why, what's the connection between this? They seem like two different things. What's the connection? Let me try to explain it this way. I was a math teacher. Um, I guess I'm still a math teacher. I'm not teaching more math, so my kids are more homework. Uh, well, I'm going to try to give an English class explanation here. We'll see how to do it, right? This word in verse 12 is a noun. We are to endure these trials. Parasmos is a noun form. Some trial, something that comes into your life. But in verse 13, this word temp changes to a verb. What's going on? Well, whether it is a noun or verb form of this word, it's the same word. What's the difference? It is my response to it. Whether it's the noun form or the verb form, it is the action that follows that turns this into a verb, which is why we have this word temptation. What do you mean? We can respond to trials really one of two ways. We can respond in faithful obedience and confidence in God that He's in control. Or we can cave in during trials and allow our faith to be shaken and not done. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Let's, let's take, for example, uh, an individual here, maybe a man or a woman, that because of the circumstances that we have found our country in and all the COVID stuff and businesses are struggling sort of thing, someone loses their job. This is a noun form of a thing that comes in as a difficulty and we lose our job. What is the different ways that we can respond? We can respond in two ways. We can respond with a positive response. Confidence in God that he is in control. We just sang a few songs in the record. In control, and that God will provide, and I don't need to worry or stress why, because I have complete confidence that God is sovereign in control and have a positive response. Or I can respond negatively. I can question God's goodness. I can doubt God's love for me. I can struggle through with is God really in control? And what does this lead to? And then a temptation comes to life because I have opportunity to disobey or have opportunity to doubt God's love. My faith is shaken. In fact, this thinking can lead to other sin. Because I'm not thinking correctly, I may even be pretty depressed or discouraged, and I want to look for things to fill this void because maybe I can escape. Because of this trial, and I'm responding negatively, my thinking is incorrect, 
I look to other things to fill the void. What do I run to? Maybe I run to alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, food, shopping. Every trial that I come into has an opportunity to grow and strengthen our confidence in God. But if we disobey, it turns into a temptation where we're falling prey to that. So James makes this quick change of trials that can lead to growth and strength to temptations that can lead to sin and death. Each situation of life requires us to make a decision to see how we respond, to see if we're going to fall into sin. So here's the question. When that Poor decisions and simple good acts that I have done, and I blame on the 
that was about it. That's all my experience. I have nothing else to offer after that. So here I am learning this, this term, luring and enticing. Here we have the same word. Notice as we say in verse 14, but each person is tempted. What do we mean by each person is tempted? And then you have later on enticed by his own desires. Do you know that my desires will look different than your desires? Um, in a simple way, I like red meat. Right? There may be some others that like red meat. There may be some, I don't know, maybe there are there any sort of vegetarians. So we won't take any show of hands. I love red meat. Uh, in fact, a week ago, um, I, I learned how to smoke, kind of, I'm a smoker, um, ribs on a grill. I like that's possible. And it actually turned out and it was really good. Uh, so I'm like, my wife has, my wants nothing to do with red meat. If, if I grill a hammer or we go out and get a hammer, it has to be like no red, well done. Um, that's why we have different desires. Now, on a more serious level, we have different sinful, fleshly desires. What might tempt me may not tempt you. Like there are some of you in here that have some deep struggles of giving into certain temptations that we face in our lives and temptation in We each have our own desires. Satan knows this. So this word entice speaks more of this idea of faith. Purpose is to lure us away from safety and cause harm and death. Satan baits the hook. In fact, even his evil demons bait the hook. The world we know baits the hook. But my own desires draw me away by my own lust. Our desires, when not in check with the word of God, will lead us to sin. If your desires are contrary to the word of God, then that, that desire is evil. Run from it. I think I'm I think I'm safe in saying this, but most of our based on lust, I'm use the word desire, most of our desires are God's gifts to us. But then they become twisted and perverted in a way that leads us to sin. Wait a minute, maybe something actually was originally thinking this, but Jeff actually talked about one of these last week. Did they know what I'm referring to? What was a good gift last week that we talked about? Remember? The Sabbath. Remember how God's, uh, the, the Pharisees twisted this and added all these man-made rules, and what did it end up becoming? A burden and a weight. And what was it originally designed to be? Was it to be a what? A good gift, a day of rest. What's, the, what's another one? It keeps you to rest, to sleep. Right? Is this a good gift from God that we're about? I love, like, you know what, I grew up and still to this day, I think it is somewhere in the Bible that we found that Sunday afternoon is the day for nap, right? And we like our sleep, but can even that good thing of being able to sleep and get good quality rest, can that lead to sinfulness, of laziness, and not doing what you're responsible for? Absolutely. What about food? Is food a good gift from God? Absolutely. In fact, I was thinking about this this last week, that it, it really is kind of cool that God made it so we can enjoy food. Sometimes we just take some simple things like that for granted. But just like a, you put gasoline in a car, you're going to enjoy it that car is going to just It just keeps it running, right? Food could have been that same way. I could go and eat a good juicy steak and have zero taste. I just know I have to eat it just to kind of give me the energy I need to survive. But God gave us this good gift of being able to enjoy food. It's a good gift. Well, what can we do? 
I eat too much. You can be gluttonous. You can become fat and lazy and unhealthy, right? We can take a good gift and, and you know this is true with sex. God gives us this wonderful thing that we know the world has twisted and perverted. So here we have this lured and enticed by our own desires. And then in verse 15, James makes this shift. So we have this hunting and fishing uh, illustration, analogy. And now we move into verse 15, and he changes it from hunting to childbirth. Interesting transition here in verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In blank there, desire is conceived. When you first add, I see it. Now in verse 15, desire is conceived. I want it. This word, again, also translated lust. We're carried away by our own lust. Again, signifying that it's completely and totally our fault. Our own fleshly desires, our response was not God. We don't put this on God. In fact, even Paul recognized this, this fleshly battle, when he stated in Romans 7. And we can echo with Paul here as he's writing this, like, this is true of me as well, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You ever find yourself there? Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So here we have this progression. We're enticed by our own desires. I see it. This desire is conceived. I want it. And then third, give birth to sin. So what do I do? I take it. Let me ask you this question before we go any further here. Where should the battle against this begin? I see it, I want it, I take it. Where does the battle begin? I, I see it, yes, and I heard you. But I think we often begin this battle at the I want it stage, and sometimes we're a little too far and too far deep into our passions and desires. Let me, let me give you another. You see, you see four D words there on your sheet. Let me give this a different um, wording, just kind of similar. I see it, I want it, I take it. I'm going to give you four D words. You're already given um, the four words are there. And you can add another word after this, maybe give a brief explanation if you want to. I actually borrowed this from uh, MacArthur. I was going to try to change the words to kind of make it my own, but I couldn't get anything better, so I'll just give you credit for these four words here. So, similar steps, but I think we can relate to these. As we think of, again, each of us have our sins. So as even as we're talking to think this morning, each of you have certain things that are coming to your mind. This is my struggle. This is this is the area of temptation for me. And it looks different for each of us. So even as we're going through this, evaluate yourself. Where am I on this? And I keep myself in check. So number one, desire. Put the word emotions after that. Desire deals with our emotions. There isn't anything inherently wrong with having a desire for something. In fact, as we already said, many desires that we have are God-given desires. The problem comes when these desires become contrary to Scripture. Or maybe just more important than they should. 
This first step, desire, reaches an emotional level. Number two, deception affects our mind with the word mind. In this step, we start thinking, I have to have this. I need this in my life. I deserve this. This will make me happy. This will fill the void. We start thinking in our mind, and we start rationalizing why this has to take place. So fill this bridge. Number three, design. Put the word will. Your will. This is a dangerous step to be in. We probably have been in here where we start planning and strategizing. We've already hit the emotions. We've already started in our mind. We're thinking, I need this, or this is going to satisfy me in some way. And then we get to this point where we start making a plan and we start strategizing and rationalizing why this is going to be okay. And then step number four is disobedience and we act on this. And what has taken place? We've given birth to sin in our life. Notice that those first three steps, desire, emotions, deception, mind, design, will all happen within ourselves, within our mind and our thinking, the will. It's all within us. And as you get the question, where should the battle against sin begin? this emotion level, this desire level. Are these things, am I bringing every thought into captivity? The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We must be Battling the things that are in our mind, are they appropriate? Are they right in Scripture? We must be a people that are so saturated with the Word of God that we are thinking correctly. Our mind should be so cultivated with the Bible and God's Word that when fleshly desires arise, we can combat them with lust. We can desire truth instead of fulfillment of simple desires. Let me illustrate it. Um, let me illustrate kind of that for progression what may be a silly uh, illustration, but a couple weeks ago, um, my son and I were going out car shopping, right? Now, he had, had a vehicle, and for the last two years, he's been wanting to get a new vehicle. So he is going out car shopping while I'm going with him, so he's done a whole bunch of research, and so he's gonna go out and buy this car, I'm going along as father to help support this, right? Looking at shopping for a car really was not in my uh, mind or thinking at all. But here I go to this car lot. He kind of knows, he's already done the research, and he kind of knows and says, which car, but I'm just going around and looking. Then what do I start thinking pretty quickly? There's a lot of nice cars here. And I, I mean, just sitting on this car lot, certainly one of these should be mine. Um, so this really has nothing to do with my son buying a car. It really had to do with me. I wasn't thinking about buying a car, but Boy, I start looking around and it was not on my radar at all. And I just see, oh, that's a nice car. That's a pretty nice thing too. And what has happened? I'm trying to get some emotions going here. And I have a desire I didn't even know I had. Because it starts with what? I see it. Alright. So after this first step of desire is what happens in my mind, I start thinking, I need this car. Alright? In fact, I deserve this car. 
of all, I'm going to pastor at Grace Pew Church. We should be riding in junk vehicles. We should, right? This should be mine. And I start as with why I need this. This is going to make my life happen. I really didn't go through all the steps. Let's take illustration of the All right? I'll tell you actually what happened now. So here's what happens. I start thinking, man, I have to have this. This, is, this, is, this should be mine. And then I got to start planning and strategizing. How am I going to make this happen? Right? All right, so, okay, so I know I need this car because my life will be full and happy. Um, so I've got to figure out how I can make this payment. So if I can spread out, I think you do car payments for like 45 years now. And so I can spread this out. I can get my payment down where I need it to be. And uh, let's see, that, that vacation we were going to go on as a family, don't really need to do that anyways. My kids have been bad, so they don't deserve a vacation. Um, and I've been giving too much to the church, and uh, they seem to be doing fine, so I take that money back. And uh, my wife doesn't really need gas in her car, so she's good. So I can rationalize all these. We start planning, how am I going to make this happen? All right? And then what does that lead to? Now, again, our, our fourth one is disobedience. Right? But what could it lead to? Even an act, okay, so an example that could lead to an action where I start neglecting providing for my family, or maybe it does lead to not giving to the church because I want to provide or buy this car that I really didn't need, and here I have more sin in my life than the way responsibilities. Okay, so illustration to go through those four things. I, I don't think um, the issue here is with cars and music. My concern, and maybe you have too many struggling with sins that are greatly hindering our walk with Christ. In fact, when I word, use the word lust, we often think of sexual desires and certainly pertains to that. And maybe there are some who are struggling with sexual sins and pornography, and that absolutely fits what we're talking about. But it's more than just that. If anything that causes us to live in a way that is contrary to Scripture, Something that becomes an idol in my life. Let me give you a couple of examples. It could simply be a desire to be accepted. A desire like this can start innocent and lead us to sinful patterns in my life. Why? Because I make choices because I want to be accepted by that person or that group of people. So I end up doing things or going places or participating in things that I know are not right, but what I have a strong desire to be accepted. Maybe it's a desire to be climb the corporate ladder to the top person at your job or to make a sale or close the deal. And so what do I do? I make decisions that compromise my integrity, maybe be dishonest or deceitful uh, to, to make the sale or whatever it pertains to. Why? Because I have this desire to be successful. How about your desire for a certain relationship? You begin to compromise your standards to what? To get that guy or girl. So here's we look at different things that can come to and desires. We see this progression that takes place. So then what is the end result of this birth of sin? What is the end result? It brings forth death. Sin in one's life will always, what's this in your life right now? It will always lead to destruction and death. Why? Because sin is a power. And also produces a death. That's really depressing. And yet we chase after sin, and it destroys and it ends. There's a 
think the Southern Gospel, so I think the cathedrals are saying so. But it goes, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay, and sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. And there are probably some of you that can say, I agree with that. And it has cost me, and it's not worth it. Don't give birth to sin in life. Because its only objective is to destroy. That's kind of a heavy passage. Then let's move to verse 17. It's your number three there on the sheet. The reality of God's nature. And this is where it just gets beautiful. So here we have in verse 12, it talks about this trial. And we are all going to endure trials. God calls us to persevere, endure through those, remain faithful, and you will be blessed. And the end result. When this life is over, we will have the crown, which is life. And we say amen to that. But then we have this warning of temptation and this progression of sin that leads to death. And then we have verse 17 that says, in great contrast to that, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Even of our own selves and our own flesh, what do we produce? Sin and death. What does God produce? Good and perfect. So why would we want to follow our flesh and not follow God's way? If we were to kind of explain, describe what this word good means, it means good. There's not a best, bestest, and bestest. It's, it's good. God gives Good things. Perfect carries the idea of being absolutely complete. Just what we would want. If you would lay it out just as you would because you think this is going to be perfect, that's what God has for you to be complete. God gives us good and perfect gifts. And James here contrasts the fact that God has no involvement in our sin and our temptation. God is not part of that. But he does reveal this character of God on this positive note that God is a giver of all things good and everything. We have this little phrase, Father of Light. The ancient term used to describe God is He is the giver of light. Just like the sun, moon, and stars give us light, but those lights may even fade, and during the day we lose light, and then it comes back. But here we are reminded that God is light, and there is no variation, and there is no change, because He is constant. He is a constant giver of good and perfect things. Malachi 3.6 declares, I, the Lord, do not change. And when we take all this and we, we're reminded, even as we're talking about here, and, and it maybe comes to your mind the struggles that you have had in the past, or struggles of sin that you are having right now today, and then we're reminded of God is the giver of good and perfect gifts. I say, how dumb are we? We want to run off to our lusts and desires when God wants to give us good and perfect gifts. When we are so full of God's blessings and good gifts, why would we be tempted by the bait of sin? I came across this and thought it was interesting to think on the fat fish takes no bait. When we are so full of God's Blessings that he has given and provided us. The, with the, the lure and the enticement of sin, what this world has to offer, I am not interested in. 
So fill up on divine gifts. And lastly here, let's go look at four practical steps to guard against the progression of sin. We find verse 14 and 15, that progression. Let me give you a few references. I don't know if these will be on the screen or not. You can write the references down. But Romans 12, 2, I'll just read through these. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on earth. What is your mind feasting on? Galatians 5.16 says, but I say walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh and that's our goals. But we are walking in the spirit. We will not fulfill those desires that we have. So let me give you four action steps today. Number one, you must be spending time in God's word that we say is as a cliche sometimes, but it's not. This is not something you do like I'm going to check this off my list. I'm going to read my Bible day, chapter a day, keeps the devil away, right? We don't just read God's word to check it off our list because it's something we're supposed to do. We read God's word because it is what sustains us. How can I survive a day without spending time with God? How can I make decisions? And say no to my flesh when I have not spent time in his word. Number two, you must win the battle in the mind. Memorize scripture and meditate on God's word. You read, I hide God's word in my heart. Why? So I will not sin against you, against God. Number three, be controlled by the spirit. Controlled by the Spirit. Again, James is writing this to a group of believers. Right? These are Christians. They have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. How often do you hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Is it a voice that you recognize? Listen to the Spirit. Oftentimes, we're too busy listening to our fleshly desires. Recognize the prompting of the Spirit. And then number four, understand, as we just explained, that God's gifts are so much better than anything that sin can provide. And what does sin provide? Short of pleasure, must to follow, destruction, and death. Let's, uh, let's close our eyes here this morning. As we conclude this morning, I want to ask you a question. What is it in your life today that is leading you down a dangerous path? As I think of these different steps, desire, deception as it starts taking place in your mind, design where you start planning and strategizing and how am I going to accomplish this? And then what's to follow is the action of disobedience. 
my guess is that there is a good number of us in here that are in some level of that, whether it's just a desire that we have, or maybe we're further along that progression, maybe we've even given birth to sin. And if you're that individual that says, you know what, right now I have given birth to sin in my life, and I am struggling. Thankfully, we, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. If that is you this morning, then sin has been birthed in your life. Let me warn you, you are heading down a path of destruction and death. But God is faithful for this morning. Confess it. Forsake it. We promise to forgive it. Action steps into place, spending time in God's Word, memorizing scriptures. Use these steps to not sin and try to go through them all. Wherever you're at, along those steps, I pray this morning that you would take these steps and you would spend time in God's Word and you would say no to the instructions. God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this passion, very practical reminder that you are not the tender. You allow trials into your life. That's how we respond. Oftentimes we respond incorrectly and we allow temptations and sinful desires to be control of our life. But help us to be walking with you. We would be spending time in your word. We would be walking in your spirit. Listen to your voice and say no to each other's desires. We live in accordance with your word. Help us as we go forth here today that we will be a church that communicates truth to you, that we will take a stand for righteousness. And we will not let sin be the only one who is to travel back.